0: Good morning. Let me invite you to open your Bible, a Bible, to Malachi chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with where Malachi is in the Bible, just go to Matthew, one book backwards, all right? This morning, Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 16. So it's written here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and debased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did He not make them one? and do not be faithless to pray with me, <clears> O <throat> oh Lord. We do not desire our blessings to be cursed by you. Our hope and our prayer right now is to both speak and receive what is true from your word, and in that way to have your blessing upon it. The thing that we need most of all in order to perhaps be saved, or if saved, to be sanctified, to be made over into the image of Christ by and by. The thing we need most is your power. It is your grace, your mercy to bless us, to teach us yourself. And so we pray with all our hearts for that right now. Teach us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the history of Christianity is really a history of revivals. The history of Christianity is a history of revivals. It's carried on by this extraordinary working of God through the ordinary means of grace. Now when he says that, he does not then mean tent revivals like we might think of them. What he means is these given bursts, these gifted bursts of sovereign grace upon otherwise normal seasons typical seasons of biblical ministry. And it's true, it is true, that bursts like that are vital, and we should pray for them. And in thinking on that, I'm reminded of the revival that took place in Kilsith, Scotland under the ministry of William Burns. We did a a quarterly on this, Uh, I think it was last December or something like that. And uh, that that revival, it overtook the area. It changed the, the spiritual landscape of Scotland, and it got most of the publicity. And yet, what I appreciated most about that story was the attention it gave to that man's ministry for the 30 years prior to that revival occurring. Uh, his son writes the biography of it, of his father and his ministry, and this revival that happened in Kilsith. And in that biography, he tells us what led up to it. Quote, It was not by a series of fitful, brilliant charges that he expected to produce great results, but by a patient course of holy duty, continued on in prayer, from year to year. Thus his influence was rather felt than seen, recognized in its slowly ripening results. Gradually, though slowly, the spiritual life in the congregation sensibly rose. Prevailing vices or sins were abated, reinforcements of devoted members were added both to the eldership and to the flock, The means of grace, doing here, were more regularly and devoutly frequented. The spirit of prayer and of wistful expectant longing for better days increased, and thus the tide, which was at the lowest ebb for some time, began sensibly to rise and creeping silently up the shore, prepared the way for the great flood he was ere long to see after 30 years of ministry. I say all that to say, I hope we never underestimate what God can do through an enduringly faithful ministry. I'm eager to tell you, I mean, I'm the first one to tell you that I long for another great awakening. Right? You you love Jesus, why wouldn't you long for that? But I never want to long for it in a way that downplays the glorious power of a plodding and faithful ministry day in and day out as it's mindful of securing faithfulness to coming generations, you need to trust it it will minister mightily to you in the most vital ways today. So if God took stock of us, if he took stock of our pastorate, if he took stock of our ministry, our church, our priesthood, quote-unquote, I wonder, what would he testify about it? Would it be more akin to Levi and his ministry? Or would it be more akin to Levi's kin and their ministry? need you to mark it down this morning. If you mark anything down, that key to an enduringly faithful people is an enduringly faithful priesthood. Key to an enduringly faithful people is an enduringly faithful priesthood. And so come with me to verses 1 to 9. And first, let's look at Levi's ministry or a faithfulness that we need to take to heart maybe that you're here today, uh, you're a member of this church, perhaps a regular visitor, maybe new to the area, you're looking to settle your soul somewhere, which we highly recommend you do. Maybe you're wondering in the process of all that, what should I be looking for? Does the Bible speak about faithful ministers? Does it have anything to say about faithful ministries? How am I to decide between one or the other? Is there a caricature that Christ most approves? I think the answer to any of those questions we're going to find on every single page of the Bible. And just today, I can tell you this much in summary. It starts with a heart that respects nothing more than the glory of God. That's where it starts. A heart that respects nothing more than the glory of God. And why is that most critical? It's most critical because that's the heart. That's the heart that's going to listen to nothing above the Word of God. And such a commitment, so long as it's supported by a life that's devoted to the same, the glory of God such a commitment will supremely ready a mouth to teach God's people what's faithful and true to that word. And insofar as that then is agreeable to God's heart, God will set His power upon it. He will bless it. So if you would know life and you would know repentance and you would know peace, Wisdom, growth in godliness, like we should all want to know, this is the way. And we see it in Levi, picking up in verse 4. He's descended down from Aaron. Levi and his sons had a ministry from God. At that time, it mainly concerned the sanctuary and the sacrifices and the scriptures. So mediating this relationship between God and sinners and keeping that fire burning, love for God and love of God to sinner, sinner to God, setting their hearts on a salvation and a Savior that's waiting in the wings. Again, we're in Malachi, Matthew's right around the corner. And Levi, what we see in the text is, he was faithful to this. First of all, as we said, he modeled that all-critical attitude of the heart. So whereas in verse 2, you see that the priests in Malachi's day refused to listen to God. They refused to be corrected by God. They refused to honor God's name where they had lost their awe of Him. They'd lost their fear of God. They'd lost their love for His glory. Levi, it says, feared God and stood in awe of His name. So friends, listen. You cannot be, you cannot be a faithful servant of God without that. It is impossible. As soon as the heart has any higher commitment than the glory of God and what's pleasing to Him, it is in a state of compromise. So if the glory of God is worth less to me than the security of my family, If the glory of God is worth less to me than the support of my friends. If it's worth less to me than the friendliness of my peers. Or the praise of high rollers. Or the niceness of never making waves. He's just a nice guy. If the glory of God is worth less to me than the allure of my own glory. My heart will slowly but surely harden to God's glory and so to faithfulness in His ministry. What is it Paul said in Galatians 1 that Janet read for us? If I were still trying to please man, I could not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Cannot. As those things will be opposed, pleasing man and serving Christ, ministers and ministries will have to decide, are we going to serve to the praise of people? Or are we going to serve to the commendation and pleasure and glory of God? They're going to have to decide. You can't do both. How that's answered will be evident, as we see in the text. A faithful heart, such as Levi's, respecting nothing more than the glory of God, will, as you see in verses 6 and 7, teach the truth with all integrity. Teach the truth with all integrity. He will take his role as a messenger of the Lord soberly. So again, whereas the hearts of this priesthood in Malachi's day refused to listen to God and in consequence let people and personal whims dictate their instruction, Levi's lips, it says, provided God's purest gold for needy souls. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips it says he guarded knowledge in an age that seems to want to get rid of knowledge both in the world and in the church levi guarded knowledge he guarded it we might say he studied to show himself approved as one rightly Handling the word of truth. And we see this appears to be central to his charge. It's not speaking that wows people. Central to his charge was not messaging for the masses. It's not creating these incredible experiences that move our spirits. No. Central to his charge is making sure that the knowledge of God is incorruptibly dished out and multiplied to His flock. It's laboring to speak and spread the truth and nothing but the truth, so help Him God. It's faithfulness to preach the Word. It's preaching soberly as a dying man to dying people. Or to be able to identify with Jesus as He said in John's Gospel, what I say, <laughs> I say as the Father has told me. You need to know that's the whole matter of Faithful teaching. It's the heart's labors to say to you what God has said for you. And it must be added there. Faithfulness demands the life along with the lips. Indeed, the person was right who said that a people will ere long be forgetting your sermons. Who will never forget the sermon of your life? Or, as another said, it's not great gifts that God blesses so much as great godliness. Why did Paul, having preached, take such care? of his life, how he lived right after having preached. But so as not to be what? Disqualified. Disqualified. So the man who speaks like an angel, only to live as demons prefer, brings disrepute both upon the message of the Lord and the ministry of the Lord, which is a choice device of the devil. If it's not in the man's life, why should you give it a second listen? Or a first one? At all. It's obviously impotent in him. It's just a shell game for all the noise. There's nothing to see here. So folks, listen, there is a reason Why, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the elders or the pastor's distinguishing ability to teach is surrounded on every side by calls to what? Character. Godliness. It's not just the communication of a message that matters. It's the power of the message in a man. Malachi gives us a good test of it. First, you should know the pastors of a church. You should know them. If you can't know them, that may not be where you want to go. Okay? You should know the pastors of a church. And then, knowing what you know of your pastors, would you, verse 7 in our passage, seek instruction from their mouths? Would you do that? Do you trust them as godly men to give you godly counsel? As you walk with God, do you see them as men who in walking with God themselves are able to channel His Word to your heart? Not just your brain, but to your heart. So that you're changed and made like Jesus. Or I'll ask this, if nothing stood between you and heaven, but a man's ability to lead you time and again to the source of it. Would you go with him? Would you go with that man? Would you go with that pastor? Would you go with that minister of the gospel? As Charles Spurgeon said, it was the business of every Mr. Great Heart, again, Pilgrim's Progress, read the book, Charles Spurgeon said it was the business of every Mr. Great Heart to guide you safely on personally conducted tours to heaven. Would you trust the pastorate of your church to do that? As needed to kill dragons and cut off giants' heads. And lead on the timid and trembling all the way to the river's edge where you enter into the celestial city. Levi could be trusted with that. He was faithful, verse 5, to a covenant of life and peace. And if you look at verse 6, it says he turned many from iniquity. What? And eternally Useful human being. He was effective in his work as an evangelist of souls and as a discipler of souls. Can a minister have any greater commendation than that by the disciplined use of biblical means he was used by God to raise the dead, win the warring to peace, turn the sinner to the Savior, and navigate the wayward back to the straight and narrow that leads to everlasting life? Friends, again, a ministry has a decision to make. To be a stumbling block In getting you to Jesus, or to be clearing away stumbling blocks in getting you to Jesus, to be either an obstacle to biblical truth or to be an oracle on the Savior's behalf. They have a decision to make. If we would be the latter, We've got to take Levi's ministry to heart. So let me just ask you right now, what do you want from God's priesthood? And what should you want? If those aren't the same thing, and they may not be, what you should want is a ministry that's going to stand the test of Christ's return. We should aspire to a ministry that under divine inspection need not be ashamed because it's evidently His ministry. God is going to vindicate His faithful ones. He's going to vindicate His ministries. They may not be all that popular now. They really never have been. For the populace you see in the text of scripture loves to what accumulate teachers they accumulate teachers to teach them the gospel no they accumulate teachers to give them straight concentrate from the bible no they accumulate teachers to suit their own passions their own fancies So, faithful ministries may not be so popular now, but they will know the power of God now. And as a bonus, they won't have dung smeared on their faces hereafter. It's kind of funny, but not. Can you imagine this in verse 2? God cursing our benedictions. God rebuking our disciples for not being His disciples. God taking the refuse that is a ministry like this and rubbing it in our faces. God doing that. God counting our service as sin that needs to be taken outside the camp and crucified or taken to Jesus and redeemed. God refusing to give His blessing, which is the one thing needful for vital gospel ministry. How many ministers, how many ministries, how many churches are going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, did we not Only for Jesus to say, depart from me. For I never knew you, you workers of faithlessness. If anything were smeared on the face of this church, would it be the dung of a faithless ministry? Or the blood of Christ that's pleased to rest upon a faithful ministry. Levi's ministry was a model of faithfulness that we very much need to take to heart. And for very practical reasons. Chiefly, to guard against the faithlessness we see in Israel's failures. So now talk about your your Bible questions A lot of you like questions. We have a whole thread on Slack for asking questions, which I think George has sufficiently answered. All of them. Because y'all aren't asking anymore. Well done. Good brother. Faithful. Right. Why does Malachi, on the heels of a faithless ministry, begin to address Israel's faithlessness toward God's family and faithlessness in their own families with an emphasis in both places on marriage. Why would he link faithlessness in ministry with faithlessness in relationship to, say, church and home? Or... With all the aspects of life in this world standing in front of him, sitting before him, why is Malachi led of God to so emphasize marriage and family, theirs and his? Right? It's good to learn to ask questions like that. It'll help you grow in Christ. I think the answer resides in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I won't take you there, I'll just say this. In Genesis 2 and 3, God establishes two institutions that preach beyond themselves to Christ and His bride, the church. And those two institutions, originally, are marriage, Christ and the church, Christ and His bride marriage, and the family. The family. Okay? But as it's the devil's aim to pervert every pure thing God created to this purpose, what, in the beginning, does the devil immediately attack? At one level, a marriage and a family. Why? Because ultimately, The shadow of the gospel is in them. They're like the biblical trailer for the passion of Christ. They're meant to reflect both the victory and the trophy of grace, which the devil hates with everything that is within him. And as ministry, then, would serve in God's providence. To sharpen these mirrors of Christ. Our enemy seeking to break those mirrors loves to mar and muddy ministry. They're related. So see with me how the first of Israel's faithless failures is their lack of love for the faithfulness of God's family. Or we might say the sanctuary of God. He's in the midst of pointing out there in verse 10 how they are God's family. We're not all created by one God, one Father. He's talking about Israel there, right? They're all God's family. And in the midst of that, Malachi asks them, why then, if we're the family of God, are we faithless to one another? And then he reproves them for profaning the sanctuary, and then he tells us how they've done that, how they have profaned the sanctuary and been faithless to one another before adding it's all serious enough to be excommunicated from the family in verse 12. So what have they done? It's very serious. What have they done? It's at the end of verse 11. They were marrying what amounted to unbelievers. Unbelievers. doesn't seem so serious to us today, but it is. They were marrying what amounted to unbelievers. They were marrying people who they knew to be pagans, who they knew to be faithless idolaters, who they knew to be unbelievers, and they didn't care. Almost certainly because they themselves were lost. At this point in the text, what we need to see in that is that this is a for instance, okay? This is a for instance, an example. What's happening in general here is an active rebellion against the clear word of God on that particular subject. It's all through the Old Testament. It's not something that's mysterious. It's very clear for them. And they're just disobeying flatly in marrying outside the family of faith. They were saying, in effect, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what your word says is best for my soul, is best for me, is most to your glory. I'm going to do what pleases me. Holiness be darned. So they were living faithless lives with godless wives only then as a good Israelite might to show up for church. Show up in God's sanctuary as if God paid no mind to it and all was well with their souls. And in this way they destroyed the consciences of God's people. Symptomatic of a greater sickness, they promoted a life at ease with rebellion. It was a thing endemic to godlessness that became an epidemic among God's people. The greater disease was this. It was an unholy individualism that shirked all responsibility for the holiness of the family. They were faithless to one another by not helping each other stay faithful. This will always be a problem under a ministry that, to put it kindly, undersells holiness and faithfulness to God and the responsibility each one of us has toward one another as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. By our faith and our practice, our lives. Are we helping faithfulness among this family? Or are we harming it? Don't buy the lie that the character of your life won't disciple the lives of others. The way you live is a great responsibility. What are you doing that might be to another's undoing? Can the mouth receive poison and the body not be affected with it? Will sour leaven not sour the whole lump Are we able to be self-preferential or prideful or short and sharp and unkind? Are we able to be immoral and unrepentant or perverse or unforgiving? Are we able to be plain rebellious without the family, the body, feeling it? And on the flip side, what if we all have great love for God. What if we're all supremely devoted to His Word? What if we're all cross-bearing because we care for one another? What if we really have a concern from day to day to help each other stay faithful to Jesus? Stay faithful to God, and to His glory, and to His word, and to being a people that He is pleased to call my church. This is really important because you've seen the text there, if you have no care for the faithfulness of God's family, if you're faithless toward the family of God, it might be asked, are you a part of it? Verse 12. It's Old Testament excommunication. Malachi cannot be more serious that such corrupting faithlessness is really serious. And so the the thrust of things here is, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to guard against that kind of faithlessness. Lord, help us to love one another by a personal obedience, a growing holiness that promotes the same thing in one another. And now there's another issue of which to beware. There's a lack of love for the faithfulness of God's family. We just saw that. But then there's also this same faithlessness in one's own family. Picking up in verse 13. They're all a mess. You see there? Because go figure, God will not bless their faithlessness. Malachi's piercing words have drawn out ample tears. They're weeping here. But have they drawn out actionable tears? There is a difference. Are they Esau's tears? Or are they tears of genuine contrition? Godly sorrow? Real repentance, a change of life. Well, you see, they they don't know why God wouldn't accept them as His own. What an indictment upon the priests of Malachi's day! Why won't you accept our offerings, Lord? They don't know in spite of all the stuff they're doing in rebellion against God? They don't know. And Why would they? It's not as if their shepherds have guarded knowledge. It's not as if their shepherds had taught them the truth or turned them from iniquity or exposited the way of life and peace with God, or been brave enough to shut the door on their God-marginalizing worship, like we saw a week ago. So what's the deal? Why won't you accept our offerings? That's what they want to know. And the deal, brothers, brothers, is that they were vile mirrors upon the love of Christ for his bride. Oh, Lord, help us. They lost sight of the witness at the wedding and the meaning of their marriages. When I officiate weddings, two things I want to assert dogmatically, which is basically how I do everything. God is here. God is here. And actively doing something. And this, she looks pretty. He might look handsome. This is finally all about the glory of Jesus. so God tells them here, I was there on that loveliest of days. I was there. And while I was there, I did something that you could not do. I took two separate individuals, two separate human beings, and I made them one. I joined them together in such a way as cannot be separated without real spiritual harm. And I did this, yes, that the two of you would know a depth of communion only surpassed by communion with me, but also then that you would labor in your body and then also for the souls of your children. It's that your family would reflect my family. It's that the greatness of grace and the power of the gospel and the love of Christ and the glory and worth of God might be put on miniature display in a family. And in a marriage, and yet, as in our text, as it goes on, as in this Israel, and yet, marital strife and infidelity and divorce dominate the lives and the landscape of church membership today. From one church to another, we're virtually indistinguishable from the world in this regard. Statistically, just a fact. And God lays it at the feet of husbands and fathers and the priesthoods that do nothing firm nothing firm to help them be faithful marriage and family is in great degree a mission demanding faithfulness what is the one god seeking in this union godly offspring That's not just for Israel with the coming of the Christ. That's for God's Israel now that Christ has come as well. If we're ignorant of that mission, we will create churches because, again, ministry... And marriage and ministry and family, they're connected. If we're ignorant of that mission, we will create churches that are delighted to entertain families to death without lifting a finger. To know, disciple, equip, grow, challenge, love, and commission men to get off their butts. And to murder lust. And die for their wives. And grow their kids. And love the church. And be faithful to Jesus Christ through and through and increasingly to eternity. You want to know what what will mark a healthy church? Women and children, wives and kids who are protected and loved and generally happy in Jesus because the men like Jesus are oaks of righteousness they are apple trees if you remember the song of songs from last summer a year ago they're apple trees these sturdy gnarly apple trees who are giving shade and sweet fruit to their lilies and all the little saplings and seedlings under their charge church is healthy, you'll see that. Oh, brothers, no day like today for us to repent however we must. Thank God we have a Savior. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, friend, Levi's priesthood was meant to be eclipsed by another one one that would stand the test of time and eternity. You see, the Lord Himself came into the world. We're going to see this next week. The Lord Himself is going to come into the world and to His sanctuary. And as He came to a sanctuary, He made it known He did not love the faithlessness that He found there. And still, in spite of it, in full view of it, He did love the faithless. He not only spoke without error, He lived without sin. And He did that not to sacrifice bulls and goats that could never save you, could never atone for sins. He did that to sacrifice the only thing that could. This great high priest was the sacrifice for our sins. Behold, the Lamb, not just of a man, but of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and so Christ was crucified in our place. He was condemned. In our place, He was condemned. Jesus suffered and died, and then He rose again. And He rose again to secure a priesthood that would never end. A ministry that cannot finally fail like Levi's would. A people who, imperfect as we are, will actually prove faithful in all the ways. At the price of His blood, Jesus loved a bride to Himself that at her finest will fill her calling well. By His grace will labor for a godly family. So, friend, won't you take God at His word today? If you're unbelieving, you can believe this you have been heartless and hopeless and hateful and sinful, just like every other human being in this room. And because of that, you do deserve what's coming upon the faithless. But God has made a sacrifice for sins once for all. In the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a promise from God of eternal life, divine life, new life, forgiveness, and peace with God. So, like, our thing right now, we want to say to you, don't leave this place faithless. Turn from your iniquities. Turn from your sins. And exercise faith in Jesus. Believe in Him. And He will save you. And He'll bring you into the family. A word with you, beloved, and we're done, so listen in. What I say to our pastors, I say to you, because you, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, are part of a priesthood of believers. It is imperative that we pray for sudden bursts of sovereign grace. Absolutely. But no less that we devote ourselves to the long game of generational faithfulness. Right? Like, if the Lord tarries, what will this church be when our grandchildren are coming of age? Will we find faithfulness? Will we find Levi's kind of ministry? I think it depends. Look at all the great preachers, all the great pastors, all the great ministries, all the great churches in the history of America and other places too. What's the state of Jonathan Edwards' church today? Go visit Northampton. What's the state of Charles Spurgeon's Metropolitan Tabernacle? (laughs) What's the state of William Burns' parish in Kilsith, Scotland? I don't know. But what we see in the text is that someone, somewhere along the way, departed from Levi's faithfulness. Levi feared the Lord, was in awe of His name. Levi preached the truth. True instruction was on his lips. No wrong could be found in his mouth. He preached the truth. Levi gave all he could as a servant of true life and divine peace, to the people of God. And yet, it looks like as the years went on, so too did Levi's example roll away. God's ministry lost its heart. Respect nothing more than the glory of God. Lost its heart. And losing its heart, it lost its hearing. I can no longer hear the Word of God. And losing that kind of hearing, it lost its teaching. Teaching the Word of God. And losing that, it lost its vital power. And losing that, it lost its glory as a mediator of saving and sanctifying truth and grace. So, so far as you and I can help it, let's not let that someone, somewhere along the way be us. As a church, instead, let's help each other stay faithful. For mark it down, key to an enduringly faithful people is an enduringly faithful priesthood and may Jesus have all of his glory there he is faithful (laughs) that's the best news in the world (laughs) he is faithful and far better than Levi then Jesus can and will hold us fast and make us useful to his glory let's pray Lord, we do look to you now. Your word is living and active. Make it now to live and to act according to this text and the preaching of your word. Make it to live and act in each one of our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.